We're beginning a new series this week on what is your spiritual quotient? What is your spiritual intelligence? God has given four sentinels to guide us in life. Next week we'll see reason. We'll see wise counsel. Who do you go to for counsel? And what about the inner leading of the Holy Spirit? But the first guide is Scripture, God's written word to us. Paul is writing to his beloved Timothy, the Rabbi Saul of Tarsus, and he reminds, in the toughness of life, it is Scripture that gets us through. We'll read together if you're visiting verses 10 through 17 aloud as a sign of God's community. When we get done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you believe it, you'll say, thanks be to God. Let's read this, 3, 10 through 17. Listen up, you're reading God's Word. Now you have observed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my suffering the things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But wicked people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the bloom fades, but those words will simply last forever. How smart do you think you are? (laughs) Americans are fascinated with this whole thing called intellect. Most of the uh, popular game shows, whether it's Jeopardy or Trivial Pursuit for a board game, Americans love to say, who is the smartest that is out there? And God likewise is impressed with intelligence, but intelligence in a different way. IQ is your intellectual quotient. 1990s, uh, Daniel Goleman and some of the brain mapping, they came out with a book, EQ, your emotional intelligence. And neuroscientists have found out you have two brains, a thinking brain and a feeling brain, and a very complex arrangement. But SQ is your spiritual quotient. Some of the smartest people I know do the dumbest things spiritually. And God wants to know how why we do these things. And he's given us these sentinels to guide us. They don't make decisions for us, but they counsel us. Like they say, uh, you can tell a sophomore, but you can't tell them much. <laughs> Sophos, Sophia, the word for wisdom, and morphos, which means the appearance. Some people have the appearance of knowing things, but they don't know a lot. They say the old adage, book knowledge, but street dumb. One of my uh, favorite stories back in the late 1980s uh, when Bill Gates was really rocking and rolling that uh, he was on a plane coming from Alaska to Seattle with a with a minister and a student going back to the University of Washington. And this little plane, all of a sudden, the pilot came out and he had on a parachute. And he said, I don't know what happened. We're losing all the gas. I've got four little kids. There's two parachutes there. You three sorted out. I'm out of here. And he dove out. So they looked at each other in a... Bill Gates grabbed something and he said, you know, guys, 
I appreciate life and you know I'm probably one of the greatest minds of our generation and I've helped out in so many ways but there's still a lot more to do I, I've just got to go I got to oversee my uh, foundation and he dove out and the minister looked at the uh, student and he knowing there was just one more parachute said you know son you got your whole life in front of you I've had a good life God will take care of me and the student said you know reverend chill out you're going to be fine the greatest mind of our generation just jumped out of the plane with my backpack It's an old one, but it's a good one. Well, what does it mean to be intelligent? And particularly, what does it mean to see life as God does? A sentinel was someone who oversaw the city or as the children of Israel walked through the wilderness. They didn't make you put your foot there. They just told you, look out for this, watch for that. Last year when I was on my sabbatical looking at about city transformation and in Oxford studying Augustine and Aquinas and Luther and others... I didn't expect, but I discovered all of them have basically four foundations. If you will, four cornerstones for building an architecture of the wise life. Scripture, reason, good counsel, and the inner leading of the Holy Spirit. And just like a GPS takes longitude and latitude, direction and speed, you put these four in there, you will not make a wrong decision. I mean that. God will. You have to pull the trigger of faith and follow. He'll make sure that you're in His will. But the Bible is so big and so cumbersome. I mean, it's 66 books. It's really a library. Everybody gets excited as a new Christian starts reading Genesis and hits Leviticus and quits. Well, what if you could have a simpler version? Our drama department has an answer for you. Tired of this happening every time you try and read the Bible? Or this? Or even this? Reading the Bible has become too dangerous these days. But my church says having a quiet time is important. What if I told you it's possible to read the Bible without getting hurt? I'd say... Stop lying to my face! That's impossible! Not anymore. Introducing the Norm's Notes Bible. We've taken the Bible, removed all the useless information, and packaged it into a friendly, easy-to-use paperback fast read. Wow! Just call me Doubting Thomas. Who's that? Well, in the Bible it talks about... Not anymore. His character has been eliminated completely. Oh, but... We've also taken out all those boring passages of lineage. Who begat who begat who cares? I never really liked those passages, I guess. Your guessing is a thing of the past. Norm's Notes Bible takes out the guesswork, along with the book of Micah. Micah? What's that? (laughs) Exactly. Hey, business people! What if I told you that now you have the tools to have a quiet time with God? We say sort your ugly face! We don't have time for quiet time. We have jobs. <laughs> we had a job too. Really? What was that? To cut, slash, edit, and downsize the Bible. We then packaged it into something that could be consumed in a fast and easy way for all. That sounds too good to be true. How'd you do it? Well, for starters, we took the Ten Commandments and condensed them to five. Isn't that blasphemous? Then, put it all on a pie graph. Ooh. That's neat. Yeah. Not only that, but it cuts your sins in half. Hey, slacker husband. 
What if I told you that your wife will never hassle you about your couple's devotion ever again? I'd say get behind me, Satan! Aren't you tired of reading the Gospels? Four different authors all telling the same story? What if I told you we've replaced the Gospels with one simple text message? Hey, that is quite a time saver. Wait, honey, since the Gospels were so short, now we have time to read the book of Revelation. Great! Great! Thanks, Norm's Notes Bible! Order yours today! The Norm's Note Bible is not recognized by God or any of these denominations. <laughs> well, taking a look at this book, as they said, so simple and shallow enough that a child picks up its message but so deep that the greatest theologians of scholars have never come close to the bottom. I believe if Christ doesn't return in our lifetime or for the next two centuries, that there's more to learn, I totally believe this, about this book than the last 2,000 years have taught us. 1,500 years of history from the Exodus from Moshe and Genesis to the book of Revelation written in about 90 A.D., 40 different authors. There's all sorts of things. There's history poetry. There's humor in this. There's romance. There's prophecy. There's letters. There's biography. There's narrative. And there's counsel and God's laws. But put it together. And what you have is a way for God to communicate to us. We don't worship, I keep telling you, a written book. We worship not this written word, but the living word, Jesus Christ. And yet the only way you and I can have an accurate picture of Jesus is from this. This book has basically two purposes. One, as I said, to bear witness to the person and work of Christ. It's to lead you to Him. Two, to both convict as well as comfort the Christian. As they say, the job of preaching is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That this scripture calls us and gives us peace and trust. And it tells us to get off our spiritual duffs and get moving to what God has asked us to do. And God guides us through this. One of the great truths that we have in front of us, if you want to have a high SQ, you'll never be any more intelligent than as much as you know this in a proper way. Well, let's take a look at this first, when I say a sentinel, a lot of passages obviously, but turn over to Proverbs, the eighth chapter. It's on page 815 in your pew Bible. Shlomo, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live outside of Jesus of Nazareth records in his beautiful poetic writing wisdom personified almost as a as a lady on the street telling people crying out don't wreck your lives i'll look at it in uh verse one actually let's read uh, verses uh one through twelve together the thing about poetry it's made to be read out loud so when you have your psalm in fact when you're standing in line at ralph's just start reading the bible out loud the line moves away from you i don't know if you know that but uh Let's read verses 1 uh, through 11 here together out loud. Does not wisdom call, and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal she cries out. To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. 
O simple ones, learn prudence. Acquire intelligence, you who lack it. Hear, for I will speak noble things. And from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to one who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Now you see this picture he has. The sentinel, as she stands here, she's saying, you're running in the wrong direction. What you really want is wisdom. And if you have wisdom, search for it. If I told you I had an investment for you that I can guarantee I could double your money in two weeks, you would definitely, if it was safe, write a check. If I told you we found out here in the valley some in an abandoned house, some gold that somebody left behind, you'd go over there digging through it because you're smart. God says, search for wisdom like you would for the best jewels, for the best investment, because she will protect your life and give to you more than financial wealth ever could. And this first wisdom comes about is about the Bible. Now, as you take a look at this, well, the question is, just because you have the Bible doesn't mean you have God's Word. What do I mean by that? There are a lot of people that will read this, and it won't mean anything to them. They're just crazy stories. And yet it is an accurate witness to this holy history. God is involved in all the histories of all the people. He says that in Amos. I'm in everyone's history. But there's a particular stream of history. The 39 books in the Old Testament. Our Jewish friends call it the Tanakh. That's an acronym for Torah, Nebuim, Ketavim. Exact same books. There was a real man named Abraham. And he went to a real place called the Promised Land. And he had real children. And they went into a real place called Egypt. And God brought out a real group of slaves. There was a real king by the name of David and Solomon. There were real prophets who we have records of, who spoke to the people. God took them into exile into Babylon. And he brought them back. And a real Jewish girl, her prayers by the name of Mary. One day the angel Gabriel appeared and said, Mary, you will conceive of the Holy Spirit and bear a son. And she had real birth pangs and she had real stretch marks and she delivered a real boy by the name of Jesus. And he was born into this world and he lived among us and they touched him and held him and hugged him and ate food with him and listened to him. And they had real disciples who walked with him, who thought he was dead when gone forever when they saw him murdered on the cross. And three days later, he blew out of that tomb and they saw him and they wrote down an accurate witness to this. And that's what this book is. It's not a magic book. It's not a history book, though it's tied into history. Uh, when I was just in uh, China and I was last week together, we were over there in, in northern China in Harbin with one of the churches that we were working with. And the church in China is not growing. It is exploding. I spoke at this one church where they have 10,000 attending. They have four campuses, 10,000 at each campus on a Sunday. By the way, their largest service was at 7.45 in the morning. When I got there, they had 5,000 people jammed into this place overseeing, just singing to God, wanting to hear the Word of God. So the next time you claim, uh, complain about the 9 o'clock service, I'm going to remind you of this. 
but they were, it's growing. What they're trying to get is copies of the scriptures. The Chinese government is printing through the Chinese Christian Council 8,000 Bibles a day. The Chinese government, they're doing it so they can control it. And it's the actual copies of scripture. In fact, I have a, one of them up here that they were giving out. These are the gospels in Mandarin that they were passing out at the Olympics. And the Chinese government is, is doing this. And they're just trying to get copies of Scripture. Why? To know the real Jesus. It points to Him. Now, how do you trust it? If you have a cop that has to go into a police officer to court this next week because they saw somebody steal something from Ralph's, they'll go down and say, I was down here at Ralph's on Ventura Boulevard at 2.30 in the afternoon, and I saw this guy take that stuff. A court of law, you means you need two things. Are the witnesses trustworthy? Can you corroborate what they said? And second of all, is there enough evidence for you to trust them? Those of you who are attorneys know one of the laws of court. People lie. Evidence doesn't. And so what you try to do is say, is there enough evidence that you can trust this? And there is no religious book in the world, holy scriptures, that compare to the Bible's trustworthiness in that. Rooted in, in history, and yet it's not history as we read it. Luke will tell us that that uh, John the Baptist began preaching in the 15th year of Augustus Caesar. Well, we know Augustus in the 15th year was around 28 A.D. You, When you read the Apostles' Creed, Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. A real political figure. It's tied into history. The apostles, when they, they were hiding for their very lives, why'd they go to brutal deaths? Because they said, we saw him. They wrote it out. So why'd they write the Bible? Someone say, we got nothing to do. Let's write a Bible. No. The Christ return had went up and he didn't come back in 70 years. By the second generation of Christians, there was a lot of wacky teaching going around. So the apostles who were still alive corroborated what Jesus really said. And they reduced it down to writing. By the time of the third or fourth generation, the canon, the scripture that we have, was completely solidified at that point, except for a couple discussion books. Well, why does that come together? It's because what you have, you need to know is what God intended. Now, what's beautiful about this book, it's not a science book. It is interesting that it tells that God created fiat out of nothing. Fiat means instant. I don't know. I owned a Fiat. It wasn't very instant. But anyway, it, uh, but it, it, it means instantly ex nihilo, out of nothing. God spoke. And notice this, the, these developmental stages. It's not a science book. I don't think Genesis is trying to do that. But you notice it's very similar to what science is telling you. And as we're looking even now at this complex world, the last 30 years of my leading ministries, I'm always fascinated by one thing. How come some people can go right into the middle of the storm of life and their boat gets smacked and they make it, and other people sink. And some people in this complex world know how to make smart decisions. And life seems to bless them as they go along. They're not without pain or tears. And it's always an issue of intelligence, but spiritual intelligence. And the ones who really do know this word and follow it. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and follows them is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The storms come and beat against and that stays. But if you just hear this and don't follow it, it's like a fool that built his house on the sand. The storms came and what a terrible fall it was. So the word of God isn't just, this is written in Mandarin. I don't really understand any of it. But if I did understand it and I read it, and I had the heart 
to say, Lord, speak to me, God can reveal things. There's all sorts of multiple fulfillments. I've shown you before one of my favorite books I have, Devotions. This Bible is from the year 1657. Somebody gave it to me. There are over 360 years of people. People have had their devotions out of this in the old Elizabethan English. There's nothing magical about these words. There's nothing magical about the words you have in your Bible. But when you read them, they are an accurate witness. And the Holy Spirit Himself applies that to your life. Haven't you read a passage time and time again, and then all of a sudden you read it and you know the Lord's wanting you to do something? And it may not even be a good interpretation of the passage, but the Holy Spirit is applying it in a different way. How do we know what is true? Is because God has revealed it. And I love the messy way. Don't you think God should have had a book fall down out of heaven? Why didn't he do that? Because he loves using real men and women in this messy thing called life in a unique way to bring about his truth. It's just like his physical creation. Somebody at a 9 o'clock service, he teaches at Caltech. He's so excited. Why? Because they're going to smash some atoms in Europe. (laughs) What he's talking about is CERN, which is the largest linear accelerator in the world. They spent $4 billion in two decades putting this thing together. Last week, they fired it up for the first time. And they're going to slam a speed they've never achieved before near the speed of light, these subatomic particles. Some people in the U.S. at uh, Fermilab warned them, you start a black hole and you're going to have a bad day. And then other scientists right now are saying, no, just like they were afraid of the first atomic bomb in New Mexico that might be in infinite chain. They they go, we're fine. Isn't that comforting? (laughs) But what they're trying to discover is they slam these in together, going back to what the Big Bang, the creation moment was. As they break down subatomic particles, quarks and neutrinos below... And when they're interviewing a guy from Fermilab, trying to explain it to the layman, he said, well, how can you break down a particle and then it becomes energy? And he says, well, it's kind of spiritual. Now, this doesn't believe anything. But he said, we're actually, what do you know what's happening? We're getting smart enough to see how dumb we are. But God, in what looks like a very orderly process, and then it looks complicated, you find out, no, it really is orderly. And just like God, this Bible that you have, you say, why didn't he do it in a more simple way? He loves this, but it's so trustworthy what you have in your hands. Every color you're looking at comes from three primary colors. There's only been and there will always only be eight notes on the octave. And every piece of music you have ever heard has been composed from that. The periodic table, all the elements in the entire cosmos come out of that. We only have 50 days of the life of Jesus, do you know, recorded in the four Gospels. And he chose to use this this hole-in-the-wall place called Palestine, and these people called Jews, an insignificant nation, a little hole-in-the-wall province of the Roman Empire, to bring in the revelation of God himself. And from that it has sprung out, and you and I are saved through that process. That's why if you're in a small group, it's helping you to learn. If you're like in Bethel or one of our open word or something over here, do you have a regular process for learning and just memorizing a few of these? No, everyone doesn't believe it. Voltaire, you know, the great French Enlightenment essayist who was just a jaded cynic. He hated the church. In fact, he predicted, he said, within the end of my lifetime, that the silliness and the myths of the Bible and Christianity will be done away with forever. 
He said that in uh, about 1730. By the way, his house in Paris is used for the International Bible Society, for their offices. <laughs> true, true. Well, you know, so they said, nah, this isn't going to... Well, why does it continue to last and everybody hammers it? Because God is the author behind it. The living word, Jesus, is what applies it to you. One more passage. Turn with me over to the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter. It's on page 972 in your pew Bible. How does God apply this to us? Now, some things in the Bible are symbolic. Some things are literal. And the debate is always which is which, but it's always authoritative. Like the story of the uh, little girl reading, I told you before, the Bible on the plane. And the businessman next to her says, what are you reading? She said, the Bible. And he said, well, you don't really believe that stuff. She goes, I sure do. He says, you would believe everything? She goes, yeah. And he said, do you even believe about Jonah being swallowed by the whale? And she said, well, first of all, it's not a whale. It's a great fish. And yes. He said, well, how could somebody live in a whale for three days or a great fish? She said, I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'll have to ask him. And he said, well, what if he's not in heaven? She said, well, then you can ask him. What Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying, is how God uses this. Look in the fourth chapter in verse 12. Indeed, the word of God, the lagos, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden. All are naked and are laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Now, what he is saying is that the Word of God, when you read it, reveals who we are. It's not just to educate us, it's to change us. Not just inform, but transform into the very image of Christ. And the Word of God, when you read it, you and I play so many games with ourselves. Oh my goodness. We got defense mechanisms. We shave the, you know, just shave off all reality and truth comes at us and we can bob and weave around. You get on your knees and start reading this and the Holy Spirit just goes, deal with this. And it points through all the games because he loves us and he wants us to get us to that place. One of our friends who were sharing with a partner church, Casa del Bar in Cairo with a Muslim about Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Because remember, Jesus is one of the prophets that they honor. And this Muslim said an interesting thing. With total anger in his eyes, he said, my Jesus would never say that. Because he has been taught by Islam what Jesus is supposed to have believed. But Jesus' own words, which we have, I am the way and the truth and the life. And how do you know you're not following some wacky, made-up Jesus? The more you know Scripture, the more you can. It says that the Word of God is alive and active because not the words. Like when you pick it up, you don't have it moving around. But Jesus is alive and active, the living Word, and so He can apply it to our lives in different ways. Always something brand new. Paul said it's good for teaching. That means if you and I don't have a teachable spirit, it does us no good. The biggest thing, if you want the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart, to know how to handle your marriage, about your career, about who you're dating, how to get through these trials, 
The first thing you pray, which I do all the time, God, remove my pride. It's not a thing of intellect. What bugs me about the Bible is not that it contradicts itself. It contradicts Brewer, and I don't like that. Because the Lord is always guiding through it and saying, this is what I want out of you. Like I say, you know, when someone cuts me off in the highway, you've heard me say before, I know I'm supposed to pray for them. So I say, pray, God, may their car burst into flames. Go ahead. And the Bible says, no, wrong prayer, wrong prayer. It must forgive. Are you using your money to help the work of Christ? If you're not, this thing says, that's not good. You're to be sharing and helping others. You know these poor people down here? We're supposed to be caring for them. Do you know Christ? Are you sharing that with others? Not in an obnoxious way. Like you say, you don't try to trick people into the kingdom. You don't go out to eat and take your french fries and or make it in the sign of the cross and say, what does that say to you? Huh? Uh, uh, uh. You know, not that. You don't email John 3.16 like the drama up there. But by saying, loving them and caring for them. What about the people that disagree with us? The Word of God says that when he was offended, he never returned offense. We're to be loving to them and caring. Not reinforcing their craziness. It is to be kind and gentle. It's good for reproof. A word meaning changing your beliefs. For correction, your behavior. And for training in righteousness. Well, how should we sexually live our lives? How do I vote biblically? What are biblical values? A life of holiness and a life of caring for the poor. Justice and mercy. And those ways spell out differently at different times. You go to Washington, D.C., there's something called the National Institute of Standards and Technology by the mall there. This is the place that has all the standards for weight and length and height and speed and time. This is it. The one for the exact one foot that they have is a cobalt rod rod that they have dropped down to minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit so it won't be expanded to be the exact right size. That's the standard. You go, well, I think a foot is this long. Well, no, not really. This is God's spiritual standard for spiritual technology. Well, I think I can live this way. The Bible says, "Mm, close, no cigar. Come this way. When the world tells you you're nothing, you're not successful, you're not pretty, you're not valued, the Bible says, au contraire, you are a daughter of the king. You are a son of God. You are more precious to him. When you start saying, I can do anything I want, the Bible says, au contraire. (laughs) You are just a creature, a fallen, broken vessel that needs the grace of Christ. And it gets us into this right place. God isn't trying to make better caterpillars. He's trying to make butterflies. The Word of God isn't here just to polish up the old nature so we can live better. It's to actually try to transform us. When Ezekiel, when God says those dry bones, like if the valley was filled with a bunch of bleached skeletons, and God calls Ezekiel and says, Oh, son of man, can these bones live? And I learned from Ezekiel, anytime God asks him something, Ezekiel always says, you know, God, it's a good answer, good answer. And he says, prophesy to them, 
And so he speaks the word of God and they come together in this weird imagery, something off of Spielberg movie. And then flesh comes around and he says, can they still live? And he said, speak the word of God to them and the wind from the four corners of the earth bring them together. And of course, the first meaning was that Israel was going to go from exile back to the promised land. Not only did you see that in the return, but we've seen that in 1948. And not only that, but there's multiple fulfillments. When you see the number of kids and gangs in L.A., you see the number of homeless, you see what these children over here in Sunday school, the life they have to inherit, what our student ministry, our junior high and high schoolers, and in college trying to follow Christ today. You look at this city with all of its warped perversion, and God says, can these bones live? Absolutely. Speak the word of God to them. And watch what God does out of His power and His mysterious and wonderful ways. I want to tell you over there in uh, China, watching the church as it is exploding over there. And the house church, when Mao came to power and drove out all the Christian missionaries, many of them killed, many of them sent to prisons and driven out. And the three-self church, which was the official government, communist government church, everybody thought was just a tool of propaganda, and it was probably for a long time. And they shut the walls, and nobody knew what happened to the church in China for decades. And in the late 1980s, early 1990s, as they started to open up because of the desire for economics, they discovered that the, the registered church right now, that the government acknowledges, has over eight million people registered with their phone numbers. The government says it's fine as long as you behave. The house church, they estimate anywhere from 50 to 60 million. We met with a couple of these. There are thousands of home seminaries for these churches. They estimate there's anywhere from 80 to 100 million Christians in China. It's just exploding over there. By the way, 100 million people is called a town over there. But as you know, there's a lot of population. I flew back into L.A. It's nice to be somewhere that wasn't crowded. But as, as you see what God is doing, and we got to go out, it's something that I'll always remember. Enoch, who has a relationship with somebody who's in the communist government, because they went to school for a little bit, we went out to dinner with him. And his office was an old emperor's palace from the Ming dynasty. And we went over and met with him. He's, he's a communist. He's not a believer. And we went out to eat, and as we were talking, he said something that I almost dropped my chopsticks over. Of course, I was always dropping those. (laughs) He said, as they talked about this new wealth and the poor, because the communists are obsessed about, one, controlling, being atheistic, and two, caring for the poor. And as they watch all this money coming in, the bourgeois and the proletariat crisis, he said the only hope for China not to become greedy and selfish is the church. Not the Buddhists, not the Taoists. It is the Christians that are caring for the elderly and the poor. And he said the hope for China is the church. Now, they're playing a dangerous game. They know that Christians make great ethical people and peace and security, but the growth of the church is always the end of communism. And so they're playing this game as they are watching it. And then we went to a little rural church out in the country, and we were eating. They always keep feeding you some of the most bizarre foods I've ever had. But as, uh, as we were sitting there, and afterwards another one, and then they sang for us, and they loved to sing. And this older gentleman came up, 
He'd obviously been through the cultural revolution and things. And I don't know that he ever met as where we were, and certainly never another American. I don't know if even another Anglo where they were at. And he took my hands and with tears and smiling, he had these precious few pages of the New Testament. And he put them in my hand, not to give to me, but then took my hands and we shook. And he was smiling and saying, in Mandarin, we are brothers because of this. Because of the scriptures that point us to the real truth, Jesus Christ himself. Come unto me, all you who are tired and heavy laden, Jesus says, to come for you. Are you getting beat up by life? Come to me. Have you fallen? Have you sinned? Have you did what you shouldn't have done? You said what you never thought you would say? There is forgiveness in Christ. The Bible tells us if we confess, He is faithful and just to forgive. You're going to go through a tough life. Jesus said, you're going to have trials. You read it right there. It's going to be a hard life you follow Him. But I am with you every step of the way, and I am carrying you. Until that day when we finally gather together in the great truth of revelation and of the prophecies of Matthew that when Jesus Christ, he said the world will go from crisis to crisis as a woman in travail until Jesus Christ himself comes back. Somebody at our six o'clock service is being uh, shipped out to Iraq and he said his mother, they're obviously a military family, is a lady of few words and she just sent him a card and she put this on it. She said, kick theirs, protect yours, love mom. (laughs) The book of Revelation is basically that. You're going to go through storms. There's all these songs and singing. Christ will be with you. And someday in the twinkling of an eye, when we step across in the glory, there's going to be a greater reality that's going to make this reality that you're sitting in right now seem like a fogged over dream in comparison. And Christ, in the meantime, is cheering us on. You're here for a purpose. You are what you eat. The church has an American church has a bad spiritual eating disorder. What we're dining on or not dining on. Are you getting into this? Are you trusting it? Are you letting the Lord speak to it through you? If you abide in my word and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will. If you love me, you will obey my commands as I love my Father and have kept his commands. And I have said these things to you that my joy may be in you the joy of Christ, and that your joy may be complete. Bon appétit. Good eating. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself through the prophets and through your word, through the miracles. God, but most of all through that Savior by the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for the men and women that bore witness to him and that we have this trustworthy word in a crazy world. Lord, I pray that we would always, Lord, yield ourselves to the truth that it leads us to, that we would be loving, full of peace, that we would trust you, God, and not flip out, and that, God, we would reach out to others with the good news of Christ. And so, God, as we come to you right now with our tithes and our offerings, we pray that we could help those downtown. Lord, our, our brothers and sisters in Cairo and in the Amazon and Caracas and in China and India, And God, may they be encouraged by the way that we trust you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, send him back soon. For his sake we pray. Amen.